Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to, we're going back, we're going back, didn't get enough of 2 Samuel chapter 6, going back and digging around this passage once again, studying King David's failure, somebody say amen, his failure in his first attempt at bringing the ark of God into the city of David. Today, our, our overarching theme is talking about walking through anger. Walking through anger. And I just want to just pause and make sure that, that I'm in the right place today. Is there anybody in the house that that got angry this week. Ra- raise your hand. Anybody like, okay, five, six, seven, eight, eight people. Anybody, okay, anybody got angry in the past month? Like, right, uh, we're going to have to broaden the span a little bit. In the past, like, six months? All right. How, what, how long do I have to go back to get everybody into this raise your hand? Who has been angry at some point in your life? Raise your hand. Now, I just see, now I'm just seeing if you're rebellious. All right, there's just a few rebels in the house that aren't going to raise your hand no matter what. But First Chronicles, in chapter 13 and verse 3, we are reminded once again, even before we go and talk about King David getting angry about what took place on that, that great day, that big event that was planned, We have to again remember that it had been a whole generation, it had been a long time since the people of God had been pursuing the presence of the Lord and a scripture I've been long looking for and finally found it, maybe refound it, I don't know, but man, it hit me fresh this time and I will not lose it again. In 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 3, right before this whole event, took place. First Chronicles chapter 13 verse 3 says, then let us bring again the ark of God to us for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Oh my goodness, that scripture to me speaks so many volumes of conviction and truth. How Throughout the whole reign of King Saul, a whole generation of people under the leadership of King Saul, in this case under the nation of, within the nation of Israel, did not seek the presence of the Lord. Go back and see how long Saul reigned. It's actually one of those confusing, one of those bit of confusing aspects in the Old Testament in in determining exactly how long King Saul reigned, but we're going to generalize it a little bit here this morning and and say it was a a generation's length. It was was long enough for for those who who were young when he began to reign that they were well into their adulthood when his reign was ended. And throughout that entire reign, the leadership of that nation, and hence, remember, that nation is a nation that's supposed to be the spiritual leader of the world, right? I mean, this is God's people. This is a nation that was set apart for God's glory. And King Saul was a leader that was put there by the Lord. When the people rejected God himself as being the king and told Samuel, we want you to put a king over us. And the Lord said to Samuel, he said, hey, don't take it personally. They're not rejecting your judgeship or your pastoring. They're actually rejecting me, their God, from being their king. And so a whole generation under the leadership of Saul did not seek the presence of the Lord. That, to me, is a vivid reminder that, that we, today, as a people, we can, we can build a kingdom, and let's just bring it right down to home. We can, we can build a church. 
We can, we can build ministries. We can build groups. We can even build businesses and, and lives. And yet be a people who are not building these things while seeking the Lord. Saul was a man who built the kingdom for himself. If he wasn't seeking God and his purpose was not building it for the glory of the Lord, then he was then building it for the glory of Saul. And we know that the end of that reign did not end very well. The scripture once again comes to mind and is applicable in Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, where it says, They are blind men leading blind men. And when a blind man or woman leads a blind man or woman, they both end up in a we talked about that some months ago. You know what we call that, right? They got all, <laughs> look at the person next to you and say, they got all ditched up. All ditched up. We don't want to be a ditched up people. That'll save that again for another day. So then comes the anointed one. Not Jesus yet, but David whose life, the more and more I just dig into David's life and the things that God used David and David's failure and his rebounds, being a man after God's own heart. I mean, David's life was prophetic. When God used the major and the minor prophets to speak words of prophecy, having them written down, penned even for us today, David's entire life was a prophetic message for the church today. His entire life. There are, there are things that David did that, that no other king ever could get away with. Saul tried to offer sacrifices that didn't go so well. David goes and puts on priestly garments. David goes into the temple and gets the, the priestly showbread. David did all these things as both a king and a priest, prophetically speaking about the church today, how we are now a royal priesthood. We are kings and priests in our walk with Christ. Everybody say kings and priests. David's really outside of Jesus showing us this, through the revelation of Melchizedek, save that for another day. But outside of that, in Genesis, David was the one who prophetically showed us that we were going to be kings and priests. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 through 8. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Balal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God to take hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. And so David became angry because the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah to this day. We're going to pause right there and we'll pick it up in just a moment. But I want to begin to unpack and not just staying on this passage, but going throughout some different scriptures and different places within the word of God, this anger that David experienced, because I'm of the personal belief and mindset that that all of us are dealing with some anger issues at certain points in our walk with God. Now, some of us aren't nearly as prone to get as angry as others. And we don't like y'all too much. I'm talking about us who have to really work at not getting angry. Like that famous quote, 
no, not in the word of God. And one of the Avengers, what's your secret? And Hulk says, I'm always angry. <laughs> Sorry, we just went totally secular there for a moment. Some of us, more so than others, are having to work with this whole thing of always having that, that anger. Whether it's still the, the Lord transforming us from that old man that we used to be, or whether it's just part of our sort of zealous, passionate makeup where it's just kind of always on the surface. We've got to know that James 1.20 says that man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. So there is no, there is no form of anger living out a life of anger, even though we're going to not, we're going to unpack it. So y'all who deal with this more than others, you just be patient. But there's no form of man's anger, according to this word of God, that brings about the righteousness of God in our life. However, God uses people who both get angry and when we get angry, somebody say amen. You were, you were supposed to be more excited about that point. You're just quiet this. It's a little mellow, but we'll, we'll get you going. Did I ever tell you about the China story? And I gotta, I'm sure that I've told it at times, but did I ever tell you about this time that, that I kicked the chair? Who knows the kick the chair story? Does anybody know the kick the chair story? All right, y'all don't know what story I'm talking about. Some of you will remember when I get into it a little bit. But there was a time in China, and this was probably around 2014, and we were just about to start the school year. It was probably our fourth, third or fourth school year, so we were just starting to really get a little bit of a team established, and it was, I think, probably beginning of August. School year starts end of August, beginning of September. And I'm out and about doing whatever I'm doing. It's teacher in service week. And I get a phone call. Pastor. Well, they don't say pastor over there. It's PJ. You don't say pastor over the phone or in, out in public or anywhere. There, it's, it's PJ. PJ, they're here. Who's there? Immigration's here. They've got everybody out in the hallway. And they're beginning to check everybody's passports. And at that moment, yes, we've had, obviously, by that point, many different, you know, run-ins with different departments of the Chinese government. And at that point, I just, for whatever reason, that day I was just high. I mean, I'm, for many years in China, just, I was always just like a rubber band, just pulled, stretched to its limit. And I, bro, that just, when I heard they had everybody in the hallway and they had everybody lined up. Man, I just got mad. And I'm driving around the car, and I said, I said, I'm coming. And it was Christina, maybe, or one of some of our other team members, and both Christina and our other team members said, they said, no, 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 sweetie, don't. We've got it. I said, no, you don't. I'm coming. And they got so nervous because, again, those of us who like the Hulk always have it kind of at the surface, and by the grace of God and by the peace of God and the Holy Spirit, he's transforming us little by little as we move forward. And I started heading my way to there, and I'd, I was probably 30 minutes away, and I made a couple phone calls. They're like, they're like, okay, PJ, this is my HR director, make sure you calm down before you get here. I'm like, I'm like what do you mean? I'm calm. I'm good. It's totally good. I've got this. And there she's like on the other end of the line, oh, okay. And Christina, I could hear her. And Christina, Me and Christina, everything's good. They're just sitting in your conference room. It's all good. I said, great, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And I get there, and of course, I park my car, and I need something. I park my car, and I, I run, kind of run, walk up the stairs, and kind of buzz in. We've got these little buzzing things, and I open up the door to my conference room, and of course, I'm high stress, and I walked in, and when I walked in, I kicked the chair on accident. 
complete accident. I, it was just a little bit of a tight space, and we had a big conference table, and I literally walked in, and, and when I walked in, just not looking, and just because I had it made up in my mind, I'm going to be totally calm. I'm going to be good. I'm going to behave myself. And man, I just kicked that chair, boom. And that chair literally like up and fell. And the two government officials are sitting there right next to the chair at the table. And when they saw me kick the chair, they both looked up at me like this. Of course, their faces were already like that. And I looked back at them, and I had to make a split decision really fast. Either I'm going to eat crow because I really didn't mean to do that, or I was just going to go with it. <laughs> I had to make a decision really fast. I decided I'm going with it. pulled up my chair. Now I had to now I had to change the plan really fast cuz I done messed it all up. I had to change. I was going to come in there and you know do my greetings and be all polite and kind and now I had to just boom I got to my chair, pulled it up, sat at the table and proceeded to have this conversation. Why have you come to my office and been so rude to all my team members? Rude. wasn't I wasn't yelling, wasn't anything. It's a funny story goes on, and I'll come back to that story in a minute. I was far from in the right emotional state. My team knew it, my wife knew it. I would kind of been tired of being what I was considered being bullied at certain points, and of course, we chose to go there and live there under their rules that we were breaking half the time. And I sat there, and long story short, the Lord used that encounter crazy, crazy, and I don't have time to tell you everything that that encounter accomplished in the ministry there in China for the years to come. It reminds me of a far-fetching sort of example, but it reminds me of that time that Moses was, was coming down from the mountain. And as soon as he, as he came down to the camp and he saw the calf and he saw the dancing, yet prior to that, right before these scriptures in, in Exodus chapter 32, right before that, Joshua and Moses were coming down. Now, I want you to pause for a minute because this is much like David's encounter that we'll get back to in a moment. There's this, I mean, Moses and Joshua were just spending all this time, more Moses than Joshua, but Joshua's close proximity, time in the presence of God. Glorious. Wonderful. And they start coming to camp, and Joshua, probably having a little better ears than Moses, hears first. Oh, I hear something. He says, Oh, maybe they're maybe they're praying. Maybe they're maybe they're doing something spiritual. And and Moses says, No, that's not what I hear. And when they came to camp, he saw the calf in the dancing. In Moses' anger burned hot. And he took and he threw the tablets and He threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them. I mean, I'm not even going to throw my, my iPad, you know. I mean, it's like, I'm not even going to throw that. And here, the tablets of the Lord that God just hand-inscribed, signed and signed off and wrote them with his whole, with his own hand. He took and threw them and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it in the water. And he began to make the people of Israel to drink 
the water with the calf. You want to talk about an, uh, an emotional, angry outburst. I mean, Moses was, Moses had this thing right there under the surface. He had it right there. That in the presence of God, called to lead the people. We saw right after he got called to, to lead the people of God. There he was. He saw wrong being done to another fellow Israelite. And instead of going and having a diplomatic conversation, he says, well, I'm just going to kill the dude. Just boop. Take care of that. It's done. You'll no longer have any problems with that person. From the very beginning. We see that Moses had this, this anger issue in his life. Taking, destroying the tablets, forcing the people to drink of their own idolatry. Forcing them to consume it and therefore having lay waste of it as they were to continue their travels throughout the desert. David, we come to David again on this, on this glorious moment, similar to Moses being in the presence of the Lord. Now David fulfilling his dream of bringing the presence of God back into the central point of the nation of Israel, back for the first time into the city of David in which he prepared a tabernacle for it. And when the Lord struck out his hand, or stretched out his hand and struck Uzzah, David became angry. We went through a little bit of this a couple weeks ago. But I want to see what was one of the immediate results of David's anger. In verse 10 in 2 Samuel chapter 6, it says that, well actually let's go to first, verse 9. First, after he was angry, it says that David, then from anger, David was afraid of the Lord that day. David encountered a new side of God. He encountered a new side of God that day. Up until that day, it was all ice cream and popsicles with his relationship with the Lord. Sundays and snowballs, just, it was all sweet. And then all of a sudden he saw the holiness of the Lord. And he was angry. Then he became afraid. But look at verse 10, what happens. So David was not willing to take of the ark of the Lord into the city of David. You see, one thing that, that our anger does when we, when we allow, and again, keep in mind, we're talking about two encounters so far within the scriptures of men who come from just an incredible experience in God's presence to emotional outbursts of anger that now with David, the anger sapped him of the willingness to go any further. It just, it just sucked right out of him. And here is the man after God's own heart. And it says that at that point, he was not willing. There's, there's no reason, I mean, other than the obvious of a man just died for what at that point was apparently no reason. But outside of that, David was still, he could have maybe attempted to keep on with the plan, but there was none of that happening because David's willingness, because of his anger, his willingness was pulled right out of his life. You know, it's something to watch as in our lives, it's something to watch in our children and those that we're, those that we're leading. I mean, that willingness for the Lord, God will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, God comes and puts a desire in your life. He comes and transforms your desires from what they ran after pre-Christ and what they're now running after 
post-Christ, and he comes and put these desires in our hearts. These desires are then partnered with a, with a willingness, more than a willingness. I mean, with an anticipation within our life as David, his whole life, gearing up, planning towards this moment until in a moment of time that anger pulled that willingness straight from him. When a willingness, when willingness disappears from a person's walk with God, it's very both obvious and very alarming. Somebody who was once so willing to to be present, somebody who was once so willing to, to be generous, somebody who was once so willing to use their gifting, somebody who was once willing to to help and lend a helping hand, all of a sudden, willingness disappears. There's, there's not much we as individuals can do to put willingness back into a person's life. I mean, willingness comes from one's walk with Christ. You can try to motivate. You can go with the, with the, the greatest motivating speech and you can go with reward-based. I mean, even with our kids, I mean, man, you, I'll give you 20 bucks. I'll give you 100 bucks. I, what, what do you want? What do you want? I mean, that might work for, for a minute, but man, if the willingness is not there, you cannot force somebody to be willing. So David's willingness was drained from his life. He was mad. His anger went to fear. But in the process of it all, he just went back to his house. He went back on with life and just dumped the ark. Dumped the presence of God at the first place that made sense and was appropriate to place it at, which happened to be Obed-Edom's home. Fortunately, just like God uses people who both get angry and God uses us when we are angry. Anger, thankfully, does not disqualify us. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. You are not weird or different or something is wrong with you because you are a person who gets angry. Sometimes you think you feel like you've got a second head or a third eye because you're dealing with these emotions that for some of us, just churn within us, and we manage to somehow keep them in there, and for others of us, more in my way, we let them fly out out here. But whatever way that you are one that deals with this emotion within your life that we're seeing men of God had to deal with, this does not disqualify us. We can see both, and we'll see with Moses, and we obviously will see with David, how they had to walk through their anger. Everybody say, walk through your anger. You've got to learn how to walk through this anger that you're feeling and that you're experiencing. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, it says, Know this, my beloved brethren. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We say, oh, yet again, I know that scripture. Easier, it's one of those ones that's easier read than done. That's the first part of the verse 20 where it says, For man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Though anger does not disqualify you, I can tell you this for sure, anger will certainly test you. It will certainly test you. David, as we focused on a little bit two weeks ago, David had that that three-month time frame where he was then tested over this three months as to what his response was going to be. How he was going to respond. There are times when we're angry 
and we can even say appropriate anger in our life. There's times where we even think in our head, well, I'm, I'm rightfully angry because of X. Some of you are thinking, some of you want to just scream out and say, amen, I, I am. I mean, you just need to say it. I mean, if you're thinking it, just, just say, I am, I'm rightfully, rightfully. I mean, we get, we get mad. How many, how many of you watch in the news and you get mad and you're like, many of us have thought, how, how do I pack my bags? How do I go help? Who's thought that? Don't. How do, I, how do I go lend a helping hand? We get angry with things that we hear and see all around us, things that we see on the news. But we need to look at what the fruit of the anger is producing in our life. What is the fruit of that anger? For David, his anger immediately produced, and you can almost call it, it was like 50-50. It was fear of God, which we all could use a healthy dose of. But it was an unwillingness to proceed with the presence of the Lord because he, was, he saw a new side of God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. And we all say, Amen. We're like, I like that scripture. See, I can be angry and not sin. I'm, I'm always angry and I'm never sinning, Pastor. Maybe, maybe not. You and the Lord. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. I can tell you this that if that anger that's welling up within us, that's if it's the fruit of it is pulling us away from the Lord, sapping a willingness from seeking his presence, putting a wall up from people that are in our lives, people who are important in our lives, then the second part of that scripture becomes very, very relevant when it says don't let the sun go down. In other words, anger issues have to be dealt with. Not by a seven-step program as, as we mentioned a minute ago, but they have to be dealt with in our walk with Christ. They can't be swept under the rug and forgot about and hope that maybe next time we'll do a little bit better without taking some action, without humbling ourselves, without finding some forgiveness, without forgiving. Anger can derail you for a season. I look at David's life when he was unwilling to take the ark, and he put the ark in Obed-Edom's house. This was a delay. It was a delaying of the return of the presence of God to the nation, central aspect of the nation of Israel, and to the place where David had desired and prepared for the presence of the Lord. How we process it, if you process it. How you respond in these moments of anger, like David, can, can certainly derail us for a season. We can go back to Moses now and sort of finish just one little aspect of Moses' anger-filled life at points. And we can see that not dealing with our anger issues can and will eventually catch up with us. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly in Numbers 20. They gathered the assembly before the rock and he had said to them, here now, you rebels. I mean, there he goes. Moses just goes right back. Here now, you rebels. 
Shall we bring water out of this rock for you? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Another emotional, angry outburst by Moses. The one when he killed the Egyptian, he, there was 40 years getting past that one. Thankfully, with the grace of God and the spirit of the Lord, that shouldn't take 40 years. Somebody say amen. Then with the, the second one throwing down the tablets, well, the Lord sort of made him, made him sort of make up for that because the first tablets the Lord gave him, the second tablets, Moses, Moses got a lot of blisters with the second tablets. He had to, the Lord said, you, you broke the first ones that I gave you? Well, this time, let's go ahead and think about, think about that whole angry emotional outburst and get your chisel get your hammer because these tablets you're chiseling them out of the rock yourself and with every with every chisel Moses was sitting there thinking to himself why did I throw the first set and he goes, he's still there. I mean, how long does it take somebody to chisel out two tablets out of rock to bring them up and carry them up the mountain? How long does that take? The whole time having to reflect as to the reason why he was having to chisel out these tablets. The third time that we're looking at when he struck the rock and Instead of speaking to the rock, this is what the Lord told him in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. You see, it caught up with them. Now, again, we're not living in the same time as Moses. We've got the Holy Spirit living within us. We've got the Word of God given to us. We've got the power and the victory of Christ within us. But this doesn't mean that we can just walk around and with our hands over our eyes saying, but, but I, I, don't, I don't know where, where I'm going or why I'm doing what I'm doing. We have to begin to look at these things in our, our life. There's a reason why James is saying slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. I mean, obviously, three areas that any person needs to work on. Open your ears. Start being a, a better listener. Close your mouth a little bit more often and don't, don't talk quite as much. And that whole anger thing, you've got to get a hold of that. Because no one wants to be a friend of a man who is quick to get angry. I remember one time, and I was trying to remember, and my wife will probably shout out something and remind me. I remember in my, my marriage, the hot dog fight. Yep. That's what I've affectionately called it all these years later. It's called the hot dog fight. And we were in Manila, and we were, my wife was an intern, and I was a pastor. Probably should have been an intern. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I gave you a moment. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Came home for lunch. And before I knew it, I can't remember why. I don't think she can remember either why. But before we knew it, we were in an emotional, angry, just verbal altercation. Just going, and that wasn't the first and wasn't going to be the last. But I remember the hot dog fight, and I remember trying to think of, it's the funniest thing of, Something that what I remembered over 
an emotional outbreak in my marriage and angry how mad I was. And all I can remember about the whole thing was there was a hot dog for lunch involved. <laughs> and surely the hot dog wasn't at fault. Surely the hot dog didn't do anything, but that's literally all I can remember about that fight. And there was a, there was a time, at, as, as in a lot of instances in our early marriage days, I mean, five plus years in the Philippines, the day after we got married, and then around 10 years in, in China, a lot of those years being very stressful. But before we even got to the China portion of it, we were either at the latter end of the Philippines portion or we might have been in the U.S. by this point. And I, I recall in my marriage with my wife that we were having these, what felt like to me, and I'm certain for her, just consistent and way too much just angry outbursts between both of us on a consistent basis. And we would get into these verbal altercations, and I would, you know, we had our rules that we were trying to live by. You never leave the house when you're angry. You know, you try not to hit below the belt. You know, everybody has to go lower at some point. You know, all these marriage counseling steps that, that at that point we probably didn't have fully, fully formed yet, being just in our first, I guess we were probably in our first six five to seven years of marriage, somewhere in that range at this point, but ministers nonetheless, and just having all this, this emotional, angry stuff happening in our marriage. And I remember, I remember vividly one time, and I don't remember exactly when it was or where it was, but I remember looking at my wife, and we were in the middle of one of these emotional, angry, and I'm trying not to make it sound any more pleasant than it was, because it wasn't nice. I mean, it wasn't physical, but it was... It was like we were coming at one another, and it was often. And I remember looking at my wife, and I remember saying to her, and she probably would have said the same thing to me had whoever got it out first, but I remember saying at that moment, having a great revelation, sweetheart, if we don't get a hold of this in our lives and in our marriage, the plan of God is not going to be fulfilled in our lives. It was just, it was clear as day in that moment that those anger outbursts and us allowing them to escalate to the point to where they were of us just going back and forth, nobody humbling themselves, nobody stopping, and just back and back, back and back for however long they lasted, that I had this just grace of God, this revelation that this needs to stop here and now. And by God's grace, we, we were able to, I'm sure a day or two later, we were to talk, and from that point, we really have been able to establish some, some guidelines and some per, um, parameters and, and some goals in our, in our marriage and in our walk with God as to how to address one another, how to deal with our emotions that we still feel today, but don't respond to them the same way. Still have moments of frustration and, and even call it anger, but, but learn years ago that we have to, by the grace of God, learn to walk through this anger and not let the anger get the best of us. Learning to be a people who make right a wrong. What an important quality in the life of a man and woman of God. Being willing and figuring out how to make right wrongs that you've created in your life. In 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9, it says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble compassionate and humble. I mean, the Word of God is so simple. It's just a matter of the Holy Spirit just developing these fruit in our life, strengthening these characteristics, these godly characteristics in our life. Compassion, humility. Verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing 
Because this, you were called so that you may inherit blessing. Evil that's done to you is not to be turned around and reciprocated with some response of equal measure. It's supposed to come when somebody does us wrong and, and we're convinced that we've done wrong like David. David, at first, he was angry. At first, my belief is he was angry at God because he says he was angry for the Lord. Reached out his hand and struck Uzzah. I feel like David, when we unpack this man of God's, this man with his heart after God, when we unpack what really happened that day, I feel like he was so angry at God when he saw the other side. And it sapped that willingness, but what he did and what all of us need to learn to do is how to make it right. Look at the person next to you and say, learn how to make it right. Learning to make it right, you can, you can get some counsel. Hopefully it's godly counsel. Hopefully it's word-based counsel. But at the end of the day, to make it right, like David, he went back to the word and he figured it out. He went back in that willingness that was sapped out of his life once he humbled himself and realized, okay, God can't be at fault here. God can't be the bad guy here. How can, how can our Lord God be the bad guy here? And he went back into the Word and he figured out that the presence of God had to be carried by sanctified priests of God. But he went and figured it out. He didn't wallow in his anger for, for years, and he didn't just let that thing just weld up and, and bitterness just begin to take roots in his life and, and the whole plan of God for his life be averted because of that anger. It's amazing how long people sometimes let anger linger in their life. Things that have happened to us, people who have done stuff to us, and we just let that thing fester, and we let it just take root, and maybe we don't realize it, but it affects, it delays, it changes direction, either for a season or sometimes for in a very elongated time frame in our lives. Until, like David, we go and we dig. And I'm not talking about creating something that's not there. I'm talking about dealing with something that's very obvious to you. If you don't know what I'm talking about today, then don't go create something. But if what I'm speaking today is, is hitting home and working on your heart and dealing with something in your life, then, then like David, we go back to God. We go back to the Word. We can't control how another responds or what happens in certain situations, but we can certainly control our response to it. As the old saying goes, two wrongs do not make a right. It's not our job to go and repay someone. It's not our job to, to go and, and get an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you are the one who has done something wrong, then go and make it right. If you're one that has had wrong been done to you, then, then go and find forgiveness. Find God in that hurt. In Matthew chapter 5, as we're drawing to a close here, in Matthew chapter 5, it, this passage teaching us about if you come to the altar and you realize, let's pick it up in verse 22. 
Matthew chapter 5. But I say to you that everyone who continues to be angry with his brother. So keep in mind this whole context of this passage that I'm about to read is dealing with anger issues in our life. Anger issues in our life. If everyone who continues to be angry with his brother or harbors malice, which is enmity of heart against him, shall be liable to and unable to escape the punishment imposed by the court. And whoever speaks contemptuously and insultingly to his brother shall be liable and unable to escape the punishment imposed by the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, you cursed fool, in other words, you empty-headed idiot, right here amplified version gotta love the amplified version should we pause and have an altar call real quick have you ever called anybody an empty-headed idiot thought it shall be liable and unable to escape the hell of fire verse 23 so, and this is, this is Matthew, this is in the New Testament. So if, when you are offering your gift at the altar, and you remember that your brother has any grievance against you, remember the context, the context is, is angry. You being angry at somebody, or in this case, at the end of this passage, somebody having a grievance or being angry with you. Hmm. Leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make peace with your brother and then come back and present your gift. You see, this altar, I love, I love that it's talking about the altar here because obviously the, the house of God is a type of altar in our world of course we've we've taught and talked about our homes can become an altar we can change our homes from from being something that's just secular and worldly we can transform our homes to be a to be a sanctuary and to be an altar but specifically here it says when you come to the altar i mean when you come to the altar there's no there's no mistake as to why this is happening when, when you come to the altar and you remember. You see, there's something when we come to the altar of God that the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, through the encouragement of godly relationships, that we should be being nudged, if not pushed, into taking that, that proactive leap of faith in order to create peace in our world. It's not okay just to leave the festering fester. Well, if I just ignore it, maybe it'll go away. Maybe it'll just not be talked about. But will it go away? Never goes away. I remember, and you'll hear me, sometimes, thankfully, the Lord, has, the Lord has delivered me from this. It's one of the woes of, of a pastor, but I used to, for years, for years, I would have, every time I stood up, every time I'd go to minister, I would, I'd have my, the list of people that I, that I made mistakes with, that got angry at me, that I wasn't in, in, able to be in relationship anymore and of course at the time it was always in my in my mind with best motive and with best intention to try to walk them through something or make help them make what I felt like was the best decision for their life and and I used to carry that I'd carry that for so long some of them I've been able to find others it was just relationships that are forever lost and, and lost contact and don't know where the individuals are pastoring or in your early years of being a leader. 
within the house of God because we'll make mistakes. But it goes beyond that. It goes into the relationships we have and how we're to be different. We're to be peacemakers. If we can be an agent of peace and an agent of healing in somebody else's life just by virtue of going to your brother, when the Holy Spirit reminds you, you don't have to, again, create it, invent it, make it up just for the sake of feeling like you're doing something. But when the Holy Spirit reminds you, he says, the word says, leave it at the altar and go and make peace. Bring healing. Bring reconciliation. Because in doing so, you're going to do it both in your heart and in their life. Dealing with anger. David obviously dealt with it. Proverbs says in 21.14 that a gift in secret, given in secret, averts anger. Not letting it fester. It might take three months like it did for David. Moses, unfortunately, 40 years later, was still striking when he should have been speaking. God still used him mightily, but even as mighty men and women of God, thankfully, he uses us even with our flaws. We need to walk through anger until our heart is at peace. Sometimes that means giving it time to calm and before addressing and dealing with it. All the time it means waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and prompt us and may the grace be present to walk it through. In the meantime, not saying, as that scripture in James says, be slow to speak, not saying and or doing anything that that. We wish we could take back some months down the road. Asking for forgiveness, getting informed, humbling ourselves. As we close with one final thought on David, because David's response was the same response that we are always going to come back to. There's a lot of commentary in the middle. There's a lot of different thoughts and and how to bring it home and unpack it in our hearts. But at the end of the day, King David, he went back to the word. He gave it time. And his solution was after he learned it from the word, what should have taken place with sacrifice and worship. He went back and led the presence of God back into the nation of Israel. I pray for our church. I pray for our families. I pray that there would be a holy discontentment that would be stirred up in your life. I'm not talking about the scripture that says godliness with contentment is great gain because that's referring to being content with what God has blessed you with and provided in your life, putting aside lust and putting aside covetousness. But I'm talking about a, a holy discontentment with just the status quo. A holy discontentment with walking out our life in relationships and marriages and relationships with our children in a manner just because it's okay with somebody else who isn't even living by the same set of principles and truths that we're attempting to live by. A holy discontentment in our life to be a people who will actually, by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, deal with these areas in our life that are otherwise either delaying or derailing the presence of God from coming and moving mightily in our life, in our church, in our community. I don't want to, in any way, try to put this solely on 
saying that we're all just doing something wrong and that's why God's not doing X. That's not the heartbeat of what we're communicating today. But a holy discontentment that says, Lord, I'm willing. I want to remain willing. I want to lead and bring your presence back into the church, back into my home, back into my devotion life. And Lord, whatever, if anything, if ever anything stands in the way, Lord, that you would help me to be one that deals with it. Not sweeps it aside, not acts like it doesn't exist, but Jesus, have your way in our lives. In the name of Jesus.